When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Big congratulations, Charles. You are the uh, you're the first um, episode of twenty twenty three. Oh, wonderful congratulations <laughs> <laughs> we're coming back from break so I'm, I'm the new year baby <laughs> you are the new year baby yes so Bringing it. whenever we do the year in review you will be mentioned first oh boy <laughs> all right welcome back everybody to conspiracy normal we are back from a long three-week hiatus but uh we are nevertheless here again to uh, usher in the new year of 2023 and uh, we're starting out with uh, a guest that I heard on another podcast where the road go not too long ago a few months ago in fact uh, Charles Lear who uh, contacted me about coming on but I was going to contact him so so here we are um, and I'm really proud to say that Charles did you you listen to this show I think that's awesome yeah, huh. very. Uh, I'm a fan. <laughs> good, good, excellent, excellent. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about you uh, first of all, because we're going to talk about some of a blog that you did about when UFOlogy went off the rails, and we're going to talk a little bit about your book called The UFO Investigators. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you and just kind of how you got into this subject and how you started writing about UFOs. What led you to write the book? about UFO investigators specifically. Yeah, I, I tell everybody I was born interested in this, um, um, but I'm interested in pretty much everything. Uh, and, you know, paleontology, geology, history, uh, and, you know, so, um, but I started, uh, I I think uh, the first book I remember reading was The Bermuda Triangle by Charles Berlitz. I probably mm-hmm. read something well way before that. Um, and uh, in the uh, 80s and 90s, uh, mostly the 90s, uh, there was an awesome video store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, that had every UFO documentary you could think of on videotape. And so I rented every damn one of them. 
And I love to take naps to UFO videos because they have great synth music. And uh, I say it's like baseball. You can drift off and then come back and, uh, you know, something interesting is on and maybe didn't miss too much. Yeah, right. Uh, and, but, uh, and, and you can watch them repeatedly that way. Um, but uh, so, you know, I... I, I I became well versed in uh, all, you know every uh, uh, a lot of stuff, and uh, I I happened upon uh, Martin Willis's podcast UFO, and I really liked his approach because uh, I hadn't he has had a, a just a very not a believer not a non believer. Um, you know, he just listened to people, and I call—I consider uh, Martin Willis the uh, uh, Charlie Rose of ufology. He seems to get get stuff out of people, and he's—he's he's got you know, kind of a lovely, uh, a slightly awkward persona. Uh, he's always—he's uh, notorious for having technical issues, uh, but you know, he's—he's <laughs> he's a really likable guy. And his guests really open up to the point where he can just stop talking and they'll just go on. Um, but he used to offer the second hour. Uh, it, you, you, the first hour was free. The second hour, um, you give him a contribution via PayPal. I didn't want to get a PayPal account, but I saw he had a guest blog spot. And I said, hey, Martin, uh, I don't want to get a PayPal account, but I'd love the second hour. Could I... Uh, write you a regular blog and he said sure and i started doing it and then i turned been turning in one once a week for about the last four years and uh you know i i look at the old ones are they're pretty awful i i learned how to write along the way uh, i started studying grammar and you know all that good stuff and um, got better and better, and actually, you know, a trick to all you uh, aspiring writers: if you actually learn the rules, it's a lot easier. You, you write a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, so I don't use Grammarly or anything like that. I, I like to just know the rules, uh, and you know, they're not rules; it's just how to make it as clear as possible. Uh, so you know, I got better and better. I believe <laughs> uh and uh i'm happy with it and in any case um and at one point uh martin said you know charles you've got a hell of a lot of blogs um you ought to compile them and put them into a book and i said uh well you know actually i started writing uh a book and uh just toying around with it uh, I got interested in writing about the flying saucer investigators, uh, mainly from uh, 1947 up to the termination of Project Blue Book. It's my favorite period in ufology. And uh, mainly inspired by uh, the Mothman prophecies, because the characters in there, Jim Mosley, Gray Barker, Ivan T. Sanderson, they seemed really interesting to me. And I wanted to find out more about them. And I started looking into them and writing blogs about them for Martin. And, uh, you know, said, you know, this is really uh, what I want to write about. Uh, so I said, well, you know, I, um, uh, long story short, he introduced me to Philip Mantle, who runs Flying Disc Press. And 
I pitched the idea to Philip. Philip went for it. And uh, so I ended up writing The Flying Saucer Investigators, which was published uh, in uh, uh, June uh, of uh, 2022, the uh, 75th anniversary of uh, Kenneth Arnold's sighting. Uh, so I was doing the podcast circuit after that. Uh, and uh, here I am. That's a great way to, to write a book. A lot of my favorite books kind of start out that way as small collections of writings and then eventually turn into a, a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's chronological, so it was pretty easy. And I, you know, I was able to pull some of the blogs I actually wrote and rejigger them and use them in the book and uh, also, you know, write original material for the book. Yeah, I definitely like the chronological approach. Are you delved into some historical things that, um, I haven't really seen a lot of people really talk about. Um, there's some things that just some details in the book that that I just didn't. I don't. I don't think I I knew before about about some of this material. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, a, a famous one is the, the coining of the phrase "flying saucer." It's always told wrong. Right. Uh, right. You know, yeah. everybody says you know, uh, uh, Bill Baquet uh, took. Uh, Kenneth Arnold's uh, quote saying they skip like sauce, a saucer on water. Uh, and they, uh, the, the term actually first showed up in the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, uh, supersonic flying saucers. Uh, so uh, as far as I can tell is that the first time flying saucers ever became a, a thing was in the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah, I think you do a great job with um, starting with um, Ray Palmer, and Richard Shaver. People don't think about it, but it really starts the modern UFO age. There's a lot of the memes and tropes that are part of ufology that go into it. It's also the idea that um, uh, Palmer came up with the idea of it. It it could be true, um, and uh, you know I call it the the, the what if story. Um, so you know it. Before that, it was science fiction and, you know, fact or journalism. And Palmer, a big science fiction fan, combined the two. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, science fiction fandom turned on him <laughs> and really hated him for it. Uh, but, yeah, he, you know, he, he's pretty much the first guy to really make that kind of thing popular. It could be true. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into the book, um, which are some questions that I have, we wanted to talk about this five-part series that you did on Podcast UFO on the blog about the UFO cover-up live. And yeah. just basically, <laughs> this is the moment you say that um, ufology went off the rails, but... <laughs> There's there's so much in the book that I could be like, well, that's really when ufology went off the Maury Island might be where ufology goes <laughs> off the rails, but uh, and that's much earlier than um, UFO cover up live. But UFO cover up live, yeah, definitely some things go off the rails. But I I can't help but think, um, and you know, we've had Adam go rightly on talking about um, saucers, spooks, and kooks. Yep. Yeah, that's an, that's that's the title. And we, we've had him on talking about that, and I can't help but think that a lot of the mythology that goes into something like UFO Cover-Up Live is what you later see happening and being you know, exploited by like the X-Files. 
And that's kind of become that modern mythology of like the underground bases and the aliens among us and all these type of things really start really with like the Benowitz affair and all this, which lead Richard Doty, which leads all the way to the UFO cover up live. And then it just goes on from there. So why is the UFO cover up live? Why is that when the ufology goes off the rails? Um, it was a, it was a showcase for what was pretty, very much what was going on at the time. And there was so much BS being pumped down our throats. Um, it was also in a different, basically I, I approached, I, I looked into this because I'm writing a follow-up to the flying saucer investigators called the UFO investigators, uh, starting from the termination of blue book up until, uh, Bill Moore's. 1989 uh, MUFON symposium speech where he basically came clean about his uh, relationship with Doty. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's probably the most difficult stuff to write about. So I figured I might as well ta- take a stab at it. And uh, you know, that, that's my first pass at it because um, it's really complex. It's really convoluted. Writing probably helps you like sort it out in your own mind. Yeah, yeah, that's very much what that whole series was about. It wasn't, you know, it was an exploration of mine. Uh, and another thing I do in the blogs is I link to all my sources, uh, so the reader can go ahead and uh, you know look for themselves, uh, take the journey with me uh, if they want. Um. Uh, but a big difference between uh, the period I wrote about in the uh, uh, the published book and this next period is that the UFO investigators kind of uh, took the spotlight uh, before it was the UFOs, um, kind of more so than the investigators. The investigators sat a little more in the, a lot a lot more in the background, um, and. In the uh, leading up to the 80s, uh, the investigators got more and more public and they became personalities Mm -hmm. uh, and it became more about them. And it also uh, it wasn't them presenting the evidence. It was them saying, uh, you know, I'm a respected investigator. Take me at my word, Uh, which that's a big difference between you know, this period in the earlier period where they said, here's, you know, here's the case. Uh, here's all the facts we know about the case and they present it. Um, and mostly in publications, written publications, uh, newsletters for their, um, uh, for their members. So, you know, by the time we have UFO cover up live, you've got these personalities, William Moore, uh, primarily in that one. Um, uh, but all Stanton Friedman, <laughs> not, don't forget him. Uh, Jacques Vallée has become big. Uh, so, you, you know, and then not to mention people like, um, oh, uh, Robert Dean. Um, uh, you know, th- there were all these guys who would come up with, uh, come forward with uh, credentials, uh, like Robert B- Dean, for instance. Um uh, saying, you know, I was, uh, I think he, he 
colonel, I believe he was, um, uh, you know, saying, you know, these are my military credentials. Take everything what I take everything I say uh, at face value, and I'm not going to give you any evidence for it. Um, so anyway, by the time we get to um, UFO cover up live, um, it, it's kind of just turning uh, over to people like Robert Dean and um, John Lear and Bill Cooper and that whole mess. Mm-hmm. Um, we should say that there's no relation between you and John Lear, right? That's that's, that's just it's purely coincidence. Uh, maybe very distant, but not close enough that I benefited <laughs> gotcha. any from Bill Lear's fortune, uh, his father. Right. You, the inventor of the Lear jet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I first came upon, um, I first ran into UFO cover up live. I'd seen it before, but I was um, looking into uh, uh, a, a story about a UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base and ran into uh, one of my favorite uh, 70s documentaries was uh, UFOs It Has Begun, uh, which was first released in 1974 as UFOs Past, Present, and Future. Um, It was primarily written by Robert Emenegger, Mm -hmm. and he produced it along with a guy named Alan Sandler. It has Rod Serling as its main narrator. Uh, Burgess Meredith shows up, Jose Ferrer, Jacques Vallée, J. Allen Hynek. Uh, it's got Hector Quintanilla, who was a uh, Project Blue Book uh, head, uh, who is kind of infamous for, um, uh, I think it was Dale Spar, uh, the uh, UFO chase across um, Ohio into Pennsylvania and uh, really uh, made him look bad. Um, but yeah, it's got... Um, it's a real nice slice of history. And at the end of it, it's got a uh, Quintanilla, Heineck, Valet. Um, I think Valet is in there, uh, all kind of discussing at the end, uh, the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Um, but it's also looks like the, uh, um, Robert friend is in there too. A Tuskegee Airman, uh, who was also head of uh, project blue book, uh, who was, uh, a favorite of uh, Heineck's. Uh, Heineck really liked him. He said he, he kind of looked at it with an open-minded point of view. Um, so you've got all these uh, awesome historical characters in there. And it also seems like there's a lot of cooperation from the Air Force. Uh, William Coleman, who was a former uh, spokesman for the Air Force at the Pentagon, who handled the UFO issues, uh takes the uh, takes the camera crew on a tour through uh, the Pentagon and talks about UFO cases uh you know the um, uh, the Thomas Mantell incident and you know gives a little history uh Robert friend tells a, a crazy story about um, how uh, I think the, the CIA and uh, uh, intelligence officers uh, got involved with a contact key T case uh, where uh, a woman was claiming the channel, some guy named Afa. Um, and then uh, one of the uh, officers uh, claimed that uh, he began channeling him. And then a UFO appeared in front of, uh, in a, uh, I think it was a CIA uh, photographic lab. They were there um, 
interviewing this guy and he said do you want a ufo appear look out the window and friend actually says this on camera uh so it's a really weird documentary um and but an interesting thing about the documentary is that they um Emmeniger was as later said that he was promised footage of an actual ufo landing at holland right. air force base mm -hmm. And it was withdrawn at the last minute. Um, he's claimed that it was because um, in the wake of the Vietnam War, the, uh, the military was trying to uh, open up to the public. Uh, and, you know, it, it, like it was a PR exercise of some sort. And then because of Watergate, uh, he says he thinks that's why they they pulled the footage at the last minute. So the end of the movie is um, illustrated footage of what's supposed to be on this film. Um, so the reason, reason this becomes significant in this discussion is because these guys, Emmenager and the guy who promised them the film, Paul Shartle, uh, both appear on UFO cover up live and they tell the story. Uh, so, you've kind of got this conspiracy thing going, kind of, you know, uh, set up right there at a UFO cover-up live. Like there's, you know, the government knows the old story that the government knows more about UFOs uh, than they're telling. And they've actually got footage, uh, had uh, like a right, actual UFO landing. Um, and Coleman is there with Emmenager, and he actually tells the story of uh, seeing a 70-foot UFO, I think, in uh, 1955 when he was uh, piloting, a, a, I think, a DC-25. Um, and that's actually you know, it, a, a moment where you, where you kind of perk up during UFO cover-up live, one of the few moments that is like, hmm. And what's interesting about UFO cover-up live, it's basically a train wreck. <laughs> um it uh the producer michael seligman uh decided he wanted everything scripted uh, uh at the, nearly the last minute and made up all these cue cards and it made for some really awkward moments because some people are really bad at reading cue cards on the show and it's pretty obvious like uh mike farrell is the host from mash mm -hmm. and uh He's very poised, very relaxed. Uh, rolls with the punches. Got a crazy comb over going on too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but um, you know, so Farrell's doing his best to make it seem natural, and it's definitely not <laughs> seeming natural. And there's just some awful moments uh, where they uh, and Bill Moore um, had uh, contacts in Russia, a Russian investigator, so he arranged for uh, 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 Russians uh, investigators to appear on the show. And they've apparently, they say they've got a live feed. Uh, it seems that Farrell actually asks questions uh, early. <laughs> and so they might've filmed them. Um, it, it, it's, it's either there was a really bad delay uh, but then there are moments, it seems like there's a bad delay at first, uh, where he asks a question and then the uh, Russian researcher on the other end is waiting, 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 and then comes in. Uh, and then there are moments when he seems to ask the question too fast. 
um, and almost steps on them as they're talking. So as to whether that was filmed beforehand or not, uh, that that's a question. And and the the answers that the Russians were giving too was it? I think you you wrote that those were also uh, reading them from cue cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you've got these thick Russian accents. Um, one guy's pretty bad at English, and it's it's really awkward. It's cringe-inducing, literally. Um, so, you know, it, it, it kind of starts off promising and then just uh, uh, spirals into to a mess. And a big thing about it is, is uh, it's a show, it's, Moore uh, and Friedman um, kind of, they definitely saw this as a showcase for their MJ-12 documents, um, which had hit the scene, uh, oh, I think it was 85, and this is in 88. Um, And uh, they were really... uh, uh you know they saw this as a showcase for you know their uh groundbreaking research uh into the roswell case um uh, but they're they're not featured probably as much as they'd like to have been uh, a big part of it centered around the gulf breeze sightings and um yeah that was big at that time yeah 88 yeah, yeah. and and uh oh uh what was the guy um who took the pictures Ed Walters. Ed Walters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they look at Ed Walters' pictures, and they they have one guy that pretty convincingly uh, says they're fake, and, and good old Bruce Maccabee says, "No, they're real." <laughs> so, the lamps in the windows. Uh, <laughs> you know, come on now, it's not lamps in a window. It's real, damn it. Debu- um, what a debunker. Yeah, um, but uh, what really. Uh, made it ridiculous was these two government insiders uh which are pretty conclusively uh been argued were uh richard doty and robert collins as falcon and condor uh doty yeah. is as falcon and uh, collins as condor of in the shadow. aviary yes in shadow with their voices altered um and you know the the most infamous thing is uh Doty Falcon uh saying that um uh we had a uh a, 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 we had an alien on earth um and uh it liked uh, ancient tibetan music and uh, strawberry ice cream mm-hmm. which wasn't that pulled from some of the John Lear stuff the strawberry ice cream I don't know about that I could believe it though yeah, I think I think eventually I think that 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 came from some stuff that I think that uh, well, this is what Aaron Gullius has has talked about before is that I think there was a thing where they were trying to mess with John Lear and was trying to mess with um, uh, Bill Cooper. Mm-hmm. And so the strawberry ice cream was part of that. It was like some oh, okay. document that they made. So I think Dodie was just picking that from. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I forget what that, I remember. I know that, yeah. that document where uh, 
you know, uh, actually, Bill Laird told Cooper straight up, you just said that document was real. I made that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the document. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yeah. And there's another moment where you've got um, Betty Cash and Vicky, Vicky Landrum uh, talking about their experience. They're actually very poised. Uh, I think they'd been on the uh, circuit a little bit at that point, uh, but the, they they handled the uh, the script very well. Um, and then, uh, they have, uh, Dodie Falcon chime in that, uh, this was, um, an alien aircraft being piloted by, uh, human pilots, you know, military pilots who lost control of it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so anyway, the, uh, yeah, another ridiculous part of uh, UFO Cover Up Live was that they had all these call-in numbers. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for right. first, second, third, CE one, CE two, CE three, CE four. You haven't seen anything. Um, well, why would you call it? Why, why? <laughs> and it's a dollar. It's a dollar a call. That's- yeah, I haven't seen anything. Click. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's a dollar a call. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, and he actually Farrell is forced to read out the entire number for each one of those. So you've got all this time. One eight hundred four three three one six eight one one. So he's yeah, going yeah, all this I remember time. that. Yeah, uh, it's just like oh, and uh, this just awful, awful synth music um, uh, permeating the whole thing. Uh, just really- As I mean, it's the eighties. It's about UFOs. I mean. But no, but awful, I mean, awful synth music is just going to be part of it. It's crappy. I mean, really <laughs> crappy. Beyond. Was that like some DX7? Uh, not even. I, mean, no. I think it's. I'm a DX7 fan myself, but it can get. Yeah, uh, yeah. It actually, it, 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 it's. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. I mean, it's just probably some awful MIDI crap. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, it, it's pretty much a train wreck of a show. Um, and you know, there, there are uh, squeaky chairs and, uh, feral goes up a few times, um, you know, and it has to rearrange his, uh, cue cards and yeah, it, it's, it's a mess, but the, you know, the, the, the whole Doty and, uh, Collins thing made it ridiculous, but what's in, so what's come about though is that this was part of a government disinformation program um rather than you know this was just you know uh, oh yeah another really uh ridiculous thing is when uh stanton friedman says they have proof uh that they've recovered alien bodies that were autopsied and uh they have all this lurid uh illustrations of the roswell crash and you know uh, as far as I go with the Roswell crash, if you read the, uh, I think it's the um, July 9th Roswell Daily Record and read Mac Brazel's uh, original description of the material, uh, he describes rubber and sticks and tape with purple flowers on it. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and talks about it being in a bundle you could, you know, carry in your hands, probably about eight inches in diameter. Um, and as opposed to, you know, wreckage strewn over uh, a football field. Um, but, you know, I, 
I don't want to get too into that. I'll make enemies. Um, but in any case, you know, the, the, the fact that there, there are, there's a really good website. Uh, I don't know it, but uh, looking in, uh, offhand, but uh, they, the, this, I think it's the, oh, I, I should have this on hand, but I don't. Um basically looking at all the witnesses who have been discredited one by one by one by one and just everything that's been kind of thrown out since uh friedman said uh we have proof and you know obviously they didn't have proof or you know we would be talking about you know aliens as a an absolute proven reality right now i i take it you're not a big fan of of the roswell crash story well i mean you know, it was shoved down our throats all through the uh, 80s and 90s. I mean, yes, that it was, was. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the whole uh, TTSA thing. It sucked the life out of ufology. Um, and so much other stuff was going on. This was, you know, this happened in 1947. Um, and meantime, you know, well, what was happening at the present, you know? Um, well, especially, I think, with the Roswell's, with the Roswell material, you know, so much of it was it was out, it was way after the fact. It was, you know, 30 years later when Stanton Freeman really starts to really dig into it. And, and that's fine, but all we really know at that point was that Jesse Marcel saw this weird material in the field. That was it. There were no alien bodies. There was nothing there was nothing like that. And then ten more years, and ten more years down the line, all of a sudden, all these people are coming out and saying, "Oh, we had there, there that we saw the alien bodies, we saw the ship, we saw all this," and so you go from this like a like simple story to all of a sudden there's there's alien bodies. Yeah, it just kept getting added on to right, on. and it was, and, and and the only proof for that, the only proof of the alien bodies that I saw. Consistent proof was Glenn Dennis, the mortician. I think he was a mortician. The mortician that drew from memory the drawing that a nurse gave to him in 1947, 40 years before he drew from memory of another drawing secondhand. I mean, that was it. That was essentially the big reveal. But that and when you when you when you read that when you really get down to the core of it. It, it, it all kind of starts to just kind of fall apart. That distance, though, you know, allows something like that to build and self-generate. Yeah, if it, it did. If it was, you it know, did. something sooner, you'd have enough actual people around who were involved. But in- it worked to the Air Force's benefit because all they could say was, okay, well, you know, the, they, they tried to, they also tried to explain it off as a weather balloon. I think there was a lot more going on, but it was something that... It was a top secret craft that we that we had. The unfortunate thing about that too is like the mogul balloon explanation explanation made sense, but then uh, he went further um, in the uh, you know Roswell uh, case closed. I think there was a part two of that, and that's where he tried to dis- explain away the bodies as crash test dummies that didn't even exist right. at the time. Um, right. 
It's yeah, so it, it was it was like something from the fifties as yeah, opposed they, to something they, from the forties. Yeah, they, they stepped on their own foot on that one. And their whole idea was like, well, people just jumbled all this up in their minds and all that. But yeah, but even yeah. Marcel was, uh, you know, uh, uh, shown to have uh, exaggerated his uh, service. Uh, talking about his service, he exaggerated. Uh, so his credibility was in question as well. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's a, an endless debate. Yeah, I think the Roswell crash stuff has just done more harm than good. It did really well for Roswell, New Mexico. I can tell you <laughs> yeah. that. I, I was actually, you know, uh, when I came back from, I was staying in uh, Magdalena, New Mexico during the, uh, uh, the, the whole 2020 mess. Um, and uh, on my way back, I drove back and I stopped uh at uh, Roswell, and uh, then I stopped off in uh, West Virginia and went to the uh, Flatwoods Monster Museum, the Clark oh, yeah. Harrison Public Library, and the Mothman Museum. And mm-hmm. I was just there in September in both of those places. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, but anyway, so uh, what I wanted to do was investigate the whole idea that the uh, UFO cover-up lie was a disinformation thing. Um, so in order to do that, you've got to look at uh, the self-proclaimed disinformation agent, uh, Richard Doty. I also wanted to explore the idea that William Moore was culpable in all this, mm-hmm. uh, or at least looking the other way. Uh, so the way I approached it um, was to first look at the credibility of Moore and Doty. Um, and so I looked at the Philadelphia experiment. I, I read the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, which Moore uh, co-authored with uh, Charles Belitz. I believe uh, Moore's name is uh, first in the uh, byline. Uh, And the guy that uh, Moore got behind was Carlos Allende slash uh, Allen. Um, Carl Allen, yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Aaron Aaron Goyas did a really good uh, series on Carl Allen Allende. Um, And he... Basically, the story of the uh, Philadelphia experiment came out because uh, Carlos, uh, Carl Allen, let's just call him Carl Allen, it's easier. Uh, Carl Allen uh, wrote uh, Morris K. Jessup uh, a series of letters. Um, And uh, one of them, he described this experiment um, where the military was working on camouflage and they they trans... uh, The story is that they transported a uh, ship from the Philadelphia Navy Yard uh, to uh, the uh, Norfolk, Virginia area, Um, and then back. And then uh, the story has come out that uh, uh, has developed that, you know, there were all these um, uh, crewmen embedded in the ship uh, as part of the ship. And, you know, it was a big mess. and that's the mythos. Uh, and it all started with uh, Carl Allen. Um, Carl Allen came forward in 1969, I believe, uh, walked into the uh, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization offices and said, it was all a hoax. I made it up. Um, He's like, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in the book, uh, Moore and Berlitz uh, call it a so-called confession. Um, but uh, Carl Allen just had a history of 
making stuff up. His whole family said, you know, uh, uh, he, he faked a heart attack so well, the paramedics had to check him three times when he was a kid. He was constantly making up stories. Um, and uh, what's really funny is Jim Mosley found him. Uh, came across him and yep. notified mm-hmm. Gray Barker, hey, you know, I've got uh, Carl Allen here. Uh, and Barker convinced him to come to uh, West Virginia, Clarksburg, West Virginia. He put him up in the Clarksburg uh, Sheraton and said, you know, they, they taped him, uh, <laughs> you know, Mosley and Barker drinking heavily. Um, and Yeah, so- you can hear some of that on, uh, on Aaron's uh, Saucer Life episodes about it. He plays some of that audio, yeah. Yeah, so that tape is uh, at the Clarksburg Harrison Public Library. And when I was there, David Houchin, the curator, curator uh, gave me a paper he wrote about it. Um, yeah, so, you know, this is the guy that uh, Moore got behind. Um, so that kind of looks at Moore's credibility. And also, you know, the fact that he's able to call it a so-called confession and look the other way in uh, favor of uh, telling a good yarn. Um, so then you get to Doty. Uh, so Doty is a self-proclaimed um, Air Force Office of Special Investigations, uh, CIA-trained disinformation agent. Um, well, you, his service records are available online. Uh, they're not easy to find, um, uh, which I, I've said really kind of doesn't reflect well in the UFO community. Um, but... Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to take a moment to uh, find my source here, but uh, while I'm doing that, I'll talk. Um, so, but uh, basically what they show is that he had a, a career in law enforcement. Uh, yeah, UFOs documenting the evidence. Uh, it's on blogspot.com. Yeah, he was like a state trooper at one time, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Richard C. Doty's United States Air Force records. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that's UFOs documented, documenting the evidence on blogspot.com. Uh, yeah, so they clearly show him working his way up from a gate guard at Widespotten Air Force Base. Uh, he be, worked himself up to becoming a uh, detective at uh, Kirtland Air Force Base with the Air Force Office of Special in, uh, Investigations. And... Uh, I saw one quote from uh, one of his um, superiors saying he was uh, his drug guy. So it looked like Doty was looking into drug issues. Um, <laughs> but at the very, the, the last entry in his uh, surface records is him in food services. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, Kevin C. Randall would say, you know, he, he was kind of busted down to KP duty. Um uh, but, you know, it doesn't seem like the, I wrote, it doesn't seem like the career trajectory of a uh, CIA trained um, uh, disinformation agent. And the other thing, too, is that if he was a CIA trained disinformation agent, I would think he would have to take a secrecy oath. And he's publicly proclaiming that he was a disinformation agent, which uh, I don't know many others in the intelligence community who well, uh, would go about doing things that way. Was he not in uh, FOSI? Was he not Air Force intelligence? That's what I've always understood. It's not Air Force intelligence. It's Air Force Office of Special Investigation. Yeah. 
he, he basically he's an Air Force cop. Yeah, detective. he was kind of he was kind of a paper pusher. Yeah, really. Uh, and uh, Philip Class, um, Class is an infamous debunker. Um, I've actually turned to Class in a few instances because uh, Class, uh, for instance, with the. Um, that's that's almost like that's that's almost heresy in the UFO field, Charles. Yeah, it kind of is. Uh, you know, that's, the that's... thing about thing about class is that he um, he did some genuine uh, investigative work and turned up some genuine stuff, uh, and you know, uh, and wrote about it very concisely. And he did so with uh, more this whole more and MJ twelve stuff. Um, Unfortunately, the class would also say some really stupid stuff and go out of his way. Like there's an infamous thing of uh, him offering uh, one of the Walton uh, witnesses $10,000 to come out and say that it was all a hoax. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he would also say a lot of stupid stuff that really killed his credibility. Uh, but I found that some of his research is actually valuable. Um, so, you know, he kind of stepped on his own foot uh, in terms of being credible. Uh, but um he um he basically um Dodi was over in uh Germany um and uh I, I think he was still with uh AFOSI and uh he got uh basically uh, relieved of duty uh for uh making stuff up <laughs> about what he did um uh, but then afterwards, you can also get his uh, records with the um, uh, uh, New Mexico State Police. And in those records, uh, he had two car crashes that he, he got reprimanded for and suspended without pay. So he definitely wasn't getting any preferential treatment. Uh, so it really doesn't look like Doty was... Uh, what he said he was, you know, what he said he was. Um, a, a caveat is that, um, you know, I when I wrote this, I said, you know, look at this as a, a thought experiment. I'm looking at this from the point of view of parsimony. The simplest explanation is usually the best. It's also Occam's razor. Um, and so, you know, the simplest explanation seems to be that Doty was making stuff up. But what keeps it going is that, you know, the egos of UFO investigators saying, well, we must be onto something if the Air Force thinks enough of, right. uh, you know, what we're finding to send out a uh, disinformation agent. And disinformation agents have been a constant in ufology. Uh, you know, that, uh, accusing somebody of being a disinformation agent. John Keel was accused of being a disinformation agent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but anyway, so... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. You know, I thought, you know, let's look into the credibility of these two guys. Uh, and it, it looks pretty shaky. Uh, then we get into the MJ-12 documents, um, which uh, came in a uh, in a manila envelope. Uh, it was film of eight documents, uh, the, what's called the Eisenhower briefing document, and then the uh, Cutler Twining memo. Uh, no, no, that they found that later. Um, I think I think it was a um, oh, uh, a letter from uh, Truman uh, um, <clears throat> uh, starting the uh, uh, MJ12 group. Um, in any case, it was all film. You don't have any of the original documents, uh, but it it came to Jamie Chandray, and it had a Kirtland Air Force. It had, it had an Albuquerque postmark, which kind of points to Doty. Um, and prior to this, uh, Doty had given more a um, what Moore is called a retyped um, teletype, um, uh, which, and then uh, what was called the Aquarius document. And the Aquarius document was supposedly a briefing to Carter. Um, and the Aquarius document is the first place you have, uh, the words MJ 12. So this was probably the first time the UFO community ever saw MJ 12 was in the Aquarius document, which was prior to all the MJ 12 documents. Um, and in that document, you have a, a section that says, um, the, um, basically the aliens have seated a, uh, uh, a human being here on earth to uh, teach us civilization uh, 2000 years. Yeah. I wonder who they're talking about. Yeah. 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 Right. So, um, and what's interesting too, is there's punctuation errors in that um, and grammar errors. So this is also shows up in the uh, MJ 12 documents, uh, kind of consistent uh, errors in grammar and uh, um uh, punctuation um and then the mj12 documents themselves are pretty damn ridiculous and in doing this i actually read them for the first time just because you know i grew up with all this stuff somebody has to do this you know, <laughs> yeah and yeah they're uh, they're pretty damn ridiculous um and uh the, it starts off with the, you know a um, a recap of uh, kenneth arnold's sighting you know, this is a presidential briefing document. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you're going to UFO history 101. Uh, and, and then it describes the, uh, the basically a crash of a craft in, a, uh, I think it was uh, 75 no miles north uh, west of Roswell Army Airfield. Um, and Researcher Brad Sparks pointed out, well, you know, if you're flying, it's only about 60 miles. And if you're driving, it's like 110 miles. So you'd think they'd have that right in the document. Uh, so uh, 
people started punching uh, basically the the way that okay the the getting to the aquarius document um yeah actually we got we got to back up a little bit um because we haven't even talked about paul benowitz and all that kind of stuff I, I, i'm sure a lot of your listeners know about this mm-hmm. uh but essentially um when Moore came forward in his 1989 uh, MUFON symposium speech, he talked about having this relationship with Doty, where Doty would give him information uh, in exchange for him uh, keeping an eye on uh, investigators and uh, helping him uh, disseminate disinformation. Um, um, and his main activity was really with Paul Benowitz. Uh, Paul Benowitz was a researcher who got involved with a um, uh, case of a woman, uh, Myrna. Uh, Myrna Hansen, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, she claimed to have been uh, taken up into a UFO with her son and uh, <clears throat> a cow was also taken and they saw a cow uh, mutilated on board the craft. And uh, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so, and uh, Benowitz was associated with uh, APRO at the time as well. Um, and so, you know, he was, uh, um, <clears throat> he was, you know, working with uh, Myrna Hansen. Uh, and you can see right in the, at the get-go, the guy's going off the rails because uh, he, I, I think he wrapped a car in aluminum foil and interviewed her in the car because he was afraid aliens yeah, would be yeah. listening in. Um, and, you know, a different version of the tin foil hat. And really shouldn't laugh about that because, you know, like the guy really did, he really went insane. Like yeah. all of this kind of stuff drove him insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, everybody, a lot of people blame Doty and it's like, he was on his way <laughs> before Doty got away. They just pushed him right over the edge. But yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And he was writing all these crazy, he, he, he wrote up this whole thing, uh, um, uh, Project Beta, um, and laid out like, you know, the, the aliens plans to uh, take over the world and uh, how we can uh, defend ourselves against them. And I've invented a, uh, a gun that seems to work. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, he wrote the president and uh, you know, congressman and, uh, you know, a lot of people um, and sent out this um, Project Beta. Um, but along the way, he uh, pointed a lot of, uh, he, he thought he saw UFOs over um, around the uh, Manzano uh, weapon storage facility. Um He's in Albuquerque, and he's right next to Kirtland Air Force Base. And uh, he had a deck, and he, he set up all this. Uh, he was a, an electronics wizard um, and uh, a computer programmer. He was really, really uh, a smart guy. Uh, so he set up all this electronic surveillance equipment directed at Kirtland Air Force Base. And he's picking up all this stuff that he thinks is alien transmissions. Well, Kirtland Air Force Base has just about every alphabet soup agency you can imagine housed there. Um, So he went there and made a presentation. Hey, I'm picking up all this stuff. I think uh, I've seen UFOs and I think uh, I'm picking up alien transmissions. 
well, of course, they're interested because he's got all the surveillance equipment uh, picking up what are more than likely um, classified transmissions. Yeah. Uh, so this is when Doty gets into the fray. Uh, so Richard Doty assigned, I imagine, to investigate, and Doty seems to have taken it upon himself to... Uh, or you know maybe was under some loose set of orders uh, to get um, Benowitz's attention away from Kirtland Air Force Base. So Doty got him onto Dulce, New Mexico. Um, uh, Benowitz had been up there before, uh, looking into uh, cattle mutilation cases. Uh, I think there was a um, a town meeting. Uh, and that you know, he met Gabe Valdez there, um, and so he was familiar with Dulce. Uh, so Doty basically convinced him there was an underground base at Dulce and flew him over there and uh, convinced him this was so. Um, and he also got more involved, and more would uh, uh, you know, it was basically helping, uh, according to more. Uh, helping to feed uh, this whole Dulce myth. Um, and then along, yeah, of course, uh, Benowitz ended up uh, going into a mental hospital. Yeah, how how I've always kind of understood it was, yeah, he was picking up those transmissions, but he might have been seeing also, I think they make this in Mirage Men, they talk about how Benowitz might have actually been seeing early drone technology. So they wanted to deflect him away from all that stuff, and they used they used Doty to, well, say, okay, yeah, well, you're right, the aliens are real, you know, but and and they're in and they're and they're in an underground base that's really close to you, so uh, go over there, and you know, it was just a big deflection. Yeah, and there, there was another thing too where uh, uh, Bishop writes about it in his uh, Greg Bishop wrote about it in uh, Project Beta, uh, saying that. Um, Benowitz uh, programmed his own computers uh, to decode alien messages. Uh, but then he offers another thing, uh, the sole source of which was Moore. Uh, Moore claimed that he met uh, J. Allen Hynek um, at, I think, a, a, a MUFON symposium um, <clears throat> and said that Hynek confessed that he delivered a computer from the Air Force to uh, um, Benowitz uh, that was pre-programmed that would uh, take all these messages and make them into alien messages. Oh my God. Uh, which doesn't sound like <laughs> Heineck at all. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I think that the, the idea that uh, Benowitz made the computers himself and programmed them himself and they showed him alien messages uh uh, because he programmed them that way is a, a more likely story. Um, so that's, you know, that's more in Doty with Benowitz. Um, but then you get into the MJ-12 stuff, uh, which is where we get into a UFO cover-up live. Um, and, you know, the whole MJ-12 stuff, uh, that just uh, pretty much those those papers have, a lot of people, most people dismiss them as being forgeries, fakes, uh, more than likely by Doty. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's also too. I mean, we had Nick Redford on a few years ago, um, and there is a, there is a theory that some of that material might have been from the Soviets as a different disinformation campaign, with some of the bad punctuation and misspellings that that could lend credence to that. But then again, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of like the, that's one of the biggest thing is like they're they're so amateurish, and they're and they're like this thing that you want they wanted to be real like it's like it's too good it's just too damn good <laughs> yeah well that's you're getting back to class uh class uh actually the people who if if you really want respectable people <laughs> who looked into get this, out of ufology <laughs> brad 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 sparks and um barry greenwood um wrote about it in a paper they presented at the i think it was the 2007 mufon symposium um and um give me a second part three yeah boom um yeah so Sparks and Greenwood were looking into, you know, where all this stuff could have come from. Um, and what they looked into uh, was the idea that Doty was working with uh, Robert Pratt on a book. Um, and basically what happened was um, Moore was meeting with Doty. Um and telling Doty, uh, this is all talked about in uh, uh, Barry Greenwood and uh, Brad Sparks' uh, paper. Uh, Doty was meeting with uh, Moore, and Moore was telling Doty uh, about uh, the research he and Stan Friedman were doing and giving him all the information. So Doty would come back and say, you know, this information, you know, it, you know and, and reinforce this. And then the MJ-12 documents have all the names, uh, the first things that uh, Friedman says, oh, these are all the names uh, that we thought. Yeah, I, I, you know, the only thing that really surprised them was the name of Donald Menzel, uh, who was in um, the Philip class of his day. Um, so Greenwood and Sparks talk about a feedback loop going with uh, between Moore and Doty um, and uh, Friedman. Uh, so they're saying that was the genesis of the MJ-12 documents. Um, so this feedback loop um, also seems to play into this whole thing of the aviary. Uh, so we have the... Uh, yeah, the aviary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's mm -hmm. another twist in this uh, twisted tale. But anyway, the, the idea that the MJ-12 documents were real... Uh, class talked about as being um, real beneficial to Moore, but class says Moore had a problem because if they turn out to be false, everything points back to Moore uh, because he's the guy, you know, uh, key bono. Um, so, you know, who benefits? Uh, so he talks about Moore meeting up with uh, Timothy Good and more offering Timothy Good the documents 
saying, you know, you can publish these in your book, uh, just let us release them first. Um, and that way it looks like, uh, you know, um, and, and Timothy Good basically presenting it like he got it from an independent source. So it looks like, you know, they both got them from independent, you know, got them from an insider source. Uh, he also has the benefit of having instant international coverage. Unfortunately, Timothy Good's publisher, this is, uh, I think uh, the book was above top secret. Timothy Good's publisher uh, decided he was going to have a press conference before uh, Moore and um, uh, Shandere were going to announce the uh, documents uh, at a uh, conference that Moore was hosting. Um, and Moore had to scramble to uh, get his out first. So the day before Timothy Good's publisher had a press conference revealing the documents that were going to be in Timothy Good's book, uh, Moore got out uh, had a press conference and got the documents out into the public eye. Um, so, um, anyway, that's that, you know, that's, that's the MJ 12 story. Um, but then, you know, the, another twist in the road is this whole aviary thing. Uh, so the aviary thing is another really interesting aspect to this whole time period. Um, while I was writing this, it occurred to me that um, this was when the whole first Earth Battalion thing was mm. hitting the military. Yeah. So this is Jim Shannon. Um, basically, Jim Shannon, um, while serving in Vietnam, noticed that a real saw that soldiers were shooting over the heads of the enemy. Uh, and wanted to find out why and wanted to build a better soldier in the aftermath of the vietnam war uh the military had a big morale problem um and so they were open and uh shannon they paid shannon to go on a fact-finding mission to build a better soldier um and you know he had this idea that um you know maybe that sort of compassion shooting over the heads of the enemy could be turned into a strength. So he went on his fact-finding mission, uh, consisted of him going on this whole new age exploration uh, out in the West Coast. Um, and I, I, I think he went to over 100 uh, different organizations and it just went through everything, you know, out of body experience, uh, uh, astral projection, you name it. Um, this is the men that stare at goats. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is that, that whole thing. And I actually, uh, in preparation for this, actually read the whole first Earth battalion manual, which you can download. <laughs> um, and it's 51 pages. And, uh, it's interesting. It actually, you know, it's got a lot of, you know, yeah, new age uh, woo woo. Uh, but it's also what's really interesting is you can. I, I, I was taken back to a lot of Donald Rumsfeld's ideas uh, during the Gulf War uh, with a stripped down army, um, 
uh, you know, the whole idea where they dropped uh, MREs down for beforehand and, you know, little signs where you're friends and, you know, tried to, it's really weird that there, there, a lot of this stuff seems to have been uh, implemented. Yeah. I think a lot of it, like the movie, you know, makes the point, you know, fictionalized, of course, but the movie makes the point that a lot of this material was, uh, and these tactics were probably uh, used in psychological warfare operations. Well, yeah. Well, not to mention, um, yeah. Uh, non-lethal weaponry came out of all this right, too. Uh, right. John Alexander's a, a key uh, example of that, uh, proponent of that. Um, but yeah, so it, it was during this period, uh, the men who stare at goats, uh, the, the the John Ronson uh, documentary, um, uh, uh, which appears in, as part of Secret Rulers of the World. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you've got. Um, uh, Major General Albert Stubblebine, I think he had 120,000 troops under his command, um, goes on camera talking about trying to walk through his office wall. You know, the the I'm made of atoms. Atoms are mostly empty space. The wall's made of atoms. It's mostly empty space. You just got to merge the spaces. Boop. No, never did it. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and this is also going on at the same time SRI is happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stanford Research Institute and all their they're psychic and and um, the remote, remote viewing. viewing, yeah, remote viewing programs and all these type of things. It, it, this is all going on at the same time, right? And a lot of the same guys show up in the aviary lists. Yeah, you've got John Alexander, you've got Kit Green. Uh, Kit Green was uh, uh, the what head of uh, what they called the CIA's Weird Desk. Uh, Robert Pandolfi, who was his. Um, uh, successor um how put offs in there right uh, you mm-hmm. know um and you've also got this guy uh, ernie keller strauss uh, as hawk but yes which by the way you would be interested to know that if you've ever heard dr future on our show uh dr future was he is a civilian contractor worked for the air force at at uh at um Wright patterson uh, ernie keller strauss was his boss Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, it, it seems that this, the aviary, um, you know, it, it's significant in terms of UFO cover-up live because uh, of the names Falcon and Condor. Uh, so uh, Condor uh, was um, Robert Collins, um, and he shows up in the aviary list. Um, and it seems these were the guys that Moore and Chandere, uh were meeting with and uh, getting information from. And they introduced Michael Seligman, the producer of UFO Cover Up Live. They actually brought him to a meeting uh, with some of these guys. And these guys talked about, you know, uh, you know, the, the aliens we have and. Uh, you know, all this stuff that, uh, uh, so, uh, Seligman came out of this completely paranoid, uh, and was driving everybody on the set crazy. Um, and, uh, some of the, uh, some of the, um, staff, um, actually 
uh, made fun of him and uh, they wrote up uh, little cards, MJ1 through MJ12 and stuck them on uh, different people's desks. Um, but yeah, uh, but anyway, the, the, so the aviary plays a part in UFO cover up live because Seligman uh, more actually brought him to meet um, some of these guys uh at an island in the Great Lakes <laughs> at one point. So, you know, they talk about all this cloak and dagger stuff. I- right. Yeah. This is all just, this is all just fun and games kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, but getting back to the whole feedback loop thing, um, what these guys seem to really have been was a UFO working group uh, that uh, uh, Howard Blum wrote about. Uh, I think he actually wrote about it in the New York Times, uh, that there was a group of military insiders who were interested in UFOs and sat down and talked about them. I think uh, Jacques Vallée was involved as well. Um, And, you know, they're all, you know, guys like uh, Hal Putoff and uh, uh, John Alexander and Robert Collins and, you know, Kit Green, uh, who are military intelligence and government insiders, uh, they are trying to, well, what do you know? Well, what do you know? Well, what do you know? Trying to get the skinny on what the government knows about UFOs. Um, well, Bruce Maccabee actually interviewed uh, Ernie Kellerstrauss and wrote this whole thing called Hawk Tales. And what came out of that was um, Keller Strauss basically talking about them getting uh, some of their information from remote viewers who would contact the UFO people. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Adam Go rightly writes about his in his book uh, Saucers, Coops, and Spooks, and basically sums it up, saying that these aviary guys were getting their inside information from remote viewers. Uh, and so it's Dodie's a good, it's a good source. Yeah, so, yeah. So they're spinning all this stuff around amongst themselves. They're all government insiders. And then Moore's getting the information uh, from government insiders. So it must be true. Uh, so all this wackiness is just get spiraling out of control. Um and uh, you know, then the, the the ultimate outcome of all this is uh, UFO cover up live, and it serves as kind of a mainstreaming uh, to the rest of America of all this mythology that had been brewing in in the ufology worlds. Yeah, but you know, the, the, it's just the the strangest thing is that you know you've you've got quote unquote government insiders backing this kind of stuff up. Uh, and you know the the producer of UFO Cover Up Live, Michael Seligman, uh, actually going in there and uh, you know believing all this stuff. Um, so setting up nine hundred numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, so in terms of it being an, a, a real government disinformation program, it just seems that <laughs> a government. Um, confusion program right <laughs> you know uh you know the, uh, but you do see it as kind of a turning point 
I mean, ufology is always personality driven, but after this, you think that focus on uh, personality driven research and information and authority and legitimacy through people's backgrounds and affiliation with government or intelligence. After that, that seems to become more more dominant. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the the idea that the government knows more about UFOs than uh, we do is is you know all that's all NICAP, that's all Donald Kehoe. Um, um, but um, yeah, that that was that was the eighties and nineties. Was we you know uh, you you have uh, Peter Gersten with. Um, uh, cause uh, citizens against UFO secrecy, uh, and fo- you know, going crazy with his FOIA requests, and uh, you know, we've got to pry this out of them. You've got people protesting in front of the, of, you know, Congress and the White House, saying, you know, tell us the story. Um, you know, and the the push for disclosure begins. The disclosure movement, yeah, really gets started around the year two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, that, so that's basically all of ufology in the eighties and nineties. Um, and it's interesting that it, now, you know, the conversation around the podcasts nowadays really seems to be, uh, they're as clueless as we are. Um, and you know, it's a mystery. Enjoy the mystery. Um, uh, you know, and, um, but you, you've still got that. That's still there in you know ufo circles yeah it's the new reiteration of it in the whole um to the stars and everything around yeah that. yeah you fast forward today lou elizondo and yeah um a tip and focus on people with government right, credentials right right yeah yeah and yeah it's the same I, story yeah and, and yeah and you know having that as a main focus uh it, it, i find it unfortunate as you know i i approach it as an historian <laughs> Uh, and I like looking at the cases and listening to the witnesses and trying to get to the original witness testimony um, and, you know, listening to their stories and their stories are really compelling um, and really weird. Um, and, um, you know, writing about this period is going to be difficult for me. You know, I, I'm, I, I love the 70s, uh, but the 80s and 90s, everything just gets awful and paranoid. And, uh, you know, the the whole us and them between uh, the government and us, I, I, I just hate that, you know. It's a reflection of the time period, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. We're it's post- a lot worse now. <laughs> we're, we're post, uh, I don't know, we're, you know, with, uh, you know, Waco, Texas and Ruby Ridge. I mean, those were some awful things um where just the government came down hard the government um you know but uh you know people got hurt Mm -hmm. uh i i would say things were actually worse then um you know this was under clinton (laughs) um uh, i forget who the um uh the the attorney general uh, what's it the attorney general reno Uh, yeah janet reno uh yeah and the whole you know if you had a uh don't tread on me sticker you were kind of targeted as a uh a terrorist almost um and yeah i mean, things things got nasty 
Um, and, and, you know, so I, I kind of really don't like this period in ufology. Um, I like what's going on now. I like the conversations I'm hearing and all the podcasts, you know, with you guys and Soraya and right. Micah Hanks and uh, uh, Greg Bishop, uh, Aaron Gullius, <laughs> you know, Aaron's, you know, I, I'm, uh, I like Aaron because I, I think we're simpatico in terms of uh, our historical approach. You know, he's like really into the contactees. He's actually opened my mind up to the contactees. Yeah, Aaron's um, great. Yeah. But, you know, the idea that uh, UFO cover-up live was a uh, disinformation program, I just, uh, I I personally came up with, a, I don't think so. And in terms of, uh, you know, Doty actually being um, a, a a real disinformation agent, I don't buy it. Um but the fact that the Air Force hasn't um, publicly acknowledged it, uh, that he was or was not working for us, is uh, interesting. Um, the only uh, between uh, Robert Hastings also wrote extensively about this and came down hard on Moore. Uh, he came down so hard on Moore that I uh, he accuses Moore of uh, uh, delivering his speech at the 1989 MUFON Symposium coming clean as a kind of a preemptive thing um, uh, because Hastings had pretty much called him out. Um, but Hast between uh, Sparks, Greenwood, and Hastings were three guys that really looked into this stuff deeply. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, was there really an active uh, uh, Air Force disinformation program going on uh, with CIA backing, but, you know, mainly the Air Force. Um, and Hastings was the only guy between the three of them who definitely thought yes. Uh, he thought maybe uh, Doty kind of went off the rails a bit, but the uh, Air Force came up behind and said, hey, that this will work for us. Um, I think uh, Greenwood plays around with the idea that the uh, Air Force had a grudge <laughs> against ufology and um kind of went with this um he doesn't really say that uh, there was an active program but they kind of just let it go um but i don't know for me it doesn't seem that there was an active program but i i can picture the air force just saying you know uh, you ufo nuts have cost caused us so much problems uh, but, you know, but then again, this is, you know, the, they got out of the business in 1969, officially. Um, and, uh, you know, it just seems like a long time for them to hold a grudge. <laughs> so, um, But anyway, I come down on the side that, uh, you know, UFO cover up live was a train wreck uh, more than it was a disinformation program. Um you might have spread disinformation, but it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't truly on purpose. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, 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 I've seen quotes where you know you really don't need much to uh, uh, spread a disinformation in the UFO community. That is true. They do it pretty well themselves. That is true, especially now. I think social media has amplified that effect. Yeah, uh, I actually, totally ignore that. So I'm, I'm not up on that. Good. <laughs> the, the. Uh, I, I would like to point out that, that what you point out that um, the the production company that did this was 
uh, the same one that did the Al Capone Secrets of Al Capone's vaults. Yeah, which I, I've never looked for, but I know if I could find it on YouTube or somewhere. But like I, I remember that I was a kid then. But but I remember I I remember it being just like everybody's like, what's in Al Capone's vaults? Well, I think you didn't know? they do the whole Waldo uh, Rivera thing where I, what was he? He was going to open up something and it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So the, yeah, Geraldo was that was that was his big thing. We're gonna open it up, and like it was nothing but trash. It was like just bottles. That was yeah, all that yeah. was in there, you know. And, and yeah. the, <laughs> but that was like watched by millions of people because it was it was live. It was like a live yeah. event, and it was just a big dud. We were. Yeah. And what happened is is that you know the 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 guys who were responsible for the success of that and I think it was the other one was about the Titanic. Uh they yes. weren't available. Yeah. So Mike Were they going to raise the Titanic or something? Was yeah, something gonna... like that. So Michael Seligman, uh the producer of UFO Cover Up Live was a low-level producer. Um and also apparently had no um uh real knowledge of the uh UFO subject. So, you know, uh, he wasn't the best guy to turn to. Uh, and another thing that happened too was that um, there was a writer's strike going on at the time. Uh, Tracy Torme was involved. Tracy Torme was actually, um, uh, he, he was part of um, uh, James Fox's latest production. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tracy he's... Torme is still going. Uh, and Tracy Torme was actually involved in this. Uh, they wanted him to write, and he said, "No, I'm I'm, I'm part of the Writers Guild." Yeah, he was a writer on Star Trek: Next Generation. Um, he wrote he wrote Fire in the Sky, the original screenplay for that. Yeah. Um, the actual son of Mel Torme. Yeah, so he he's the guy who produced the um, the whole Gulf Breeze segment. Yeah. Well, you point out too that Barry Taff had something to do with. Uh, writing this too. Uh, when, uh, Barry Taff was the, um, uh, yeah, he, he was the guy who actually posted on uh, the uh, UFO bulletin board service talking about the behind the scenes stuff of all this and talking yeah. about how, you know, Seligman was going off the rails and uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think Barry Taff, uh, his, uh, um, his involvement, his he was actually a uh, paranormal investigator i think it was the uh the entity yeah the entity case yeah 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 he was he was very much involved in that yeah i had him on it was several years ago oh okay but he he talked about that but like i had you know if i'd known that then i, w- I wish i had someone what i could have asked him then yeah so yeah apparently he he there is a posting on the UFO bulletin board service, uh, which I'm amazed you can find. Uh, I found it. Um, and somebody has preserved the UFO bulletin board service, which is really cool. Uh, so I found uh, the posting by Barry Taff. I'm putting quotes there because Barry Taff uh, claimed not to have written it, <laughs> but it really seems like he did uh, because it's inside information on the, the behind the scenes thing stuff of uh, ufo cover up live just basically talking about what a message was uh you know with seligman getting uh more and torme talks about it too about seligman getting you know really paranoid after you know meeting with the uh the ufo working group slash the aviary 
um, and uh, just making really silly decisions. And, you know, one of those being uh, uh, scripting the whole show, <laughs> which was supposed to be live. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like uh, um, I, I ended the whole thing with the um, uh, a quote from um, uh, <laughs> a quote from Jim Mosley. Uh, what better way to end anything? Um, wow. Jim Mosley was interviewing uh, Edward J. Ruppelt. And yeah, uh, there was a chapter in uh, Jim Mosley's 2002 book, Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave Robbing Ufologist. Uh, and it was regarding the Air Force's UFO policy, and it was titled Planned Confusion or Pure Stupidity. Uh, and uh, I wrote, as we've been trying to stick to the principle of parsimony throughout the series, if one applies that question to UFO cover-up live, the simplest answer is to be preferred. So, you know, planned confusion or pure stupidity. I think uh, pure stupidity would be the parsimonious uh, answer <laughs> to that question. I, w- I would like to, to, to also tell you that there was a couple, two or three years after UFO cover up live, there were a couple of these Elvis is Elvis alive specials that are also classic. It, it, but when I watched UFO cover up live, I realized that UFO cover up live was just a template for those Elvis is alive specials. Cause it was exactly the same thing. Reenactments talking to experts call in. If you've seen Elvis, you know, the, this, <laughs> it was exactly the same. It was exactly the same. Did they have thing. any confidential informants in the shadows? <laughs> right. <laughs> I have seen Bubba Hotep. That's a, cl- that's a, that's a, that's a classic movie. Oh yeah. Um, the, well, yeah. Bruce Campbell at his, at his best. We did not get to talk about the book, but uh, we will talk about it. Cause I'm going to have you back on Charles to talk about it. Um, the flying saucer investigators is, is be a lot one. this is, this is a very difficult subject to talk about. <laughs> it's so convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, you know, I recommend anybody who's interested in this, um, you know, well, read my blogs uh, available at a, podcastufo.com behind the scenes of ufo cover up live but uh greg bishop's book uh project beta uh watch mirage men and uh adam go saucer spooks and kooks um i really like go rightly's book um uh that that those are all really good uh sources for looking into this kind of stuff all right uh do you have time to stick with us for a Patreon? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll talk a little some of these other questions. But um, please tell everybody where they can find the Flying Saucer Investigators. Uh, Amazon.com. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, put out by Flying Disc Press, uh, Philip Mantle's organization, publishing company. And they can also check out your blog entries at, what is that URL? Uh, I actually, uh, I do an audio blog, too. Uh, for people who don't like to read uh so every blog i turn into an audio blog so uh podcastufo.com for the written blog uh which um has all the links uh so you can find all the uh, source material um and um 
<clears throat> Martin Willis's uh, YouTube station uh, has uh, Martin Willis runs podcast UFO. So Martin Willis's U- uh, YouTube channel uh, has the uh, the audio blogs every week as well. So. All right, perfect guys, and of course, Conspiranormal. You can find us conspiranormal dot com, and you can find our Patreon, which we're going to do one with Charles here. Um, and Serviel can tell you where to find that if you would like to throw us some support. If you'd like to join the rest of our conversation here and try to uh, untangle another web of secret influences as confusing as these uh, 1980s UFO mythos, uh, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash conspiranormal and join the uh, International Association of Conspiranormalists for only $5 a month and uh, get some of these extra episodes. Alright guys, All right. well Charles is going to stick with us um, to do a Patreon and we will see you guys next week with some more guests on Conspiranormal. It's going to be a quite a year. We're really excited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.